Hello there. Welcome to Book Circle Online. My name is Lauren LaGrasso, and I am so excited to bring you my next guest. She's a personal hero of mine. She is a brilliant woman, a licensed psychotherapist, author, and host. She's known for VH1's Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen and VH1's Family Therapy with Dr. Jen and The Dr. Jen Show, in addition to a multitude of best-selling books, including Super Baby, Rocking Babies, and The A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids. Now she's out with her brilliant new book, The Relationship Fix. Let me tell you, this one is a life changer. If you're in a relationship, you want to make it better, or if you just want to make your relationship better with yourself, you must read this. Don't miss this interview. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Yes. I am here with Dr. Jen Bur- Now I almost said the old name. Cleanse, cleanse self, Dr. Jen Man. Two ends on Jen, two ends two on ends Man. Two ends on Man. I like it. Got back to the... To our roots there. Exactly. I am beyond honored to be with you today. My heart is so warm, and I'm just so excited that we get to bring people this book because, holy cow, the relationship fix. If you are in a relationship, it will help you. If you want to be in a relationship, it will help you. Um, I feel like I learned so much about myself reading this, and I was really shocked at the emotional reactions I had. I, at certain points, I was crying. I was screaming. Yeah. I felt like I was in a therapy session with you. Which thrills me to hear because my goal in writing this book was to have it be like a year of intensive therapy with me that people could yeah. do at their own pace as they were ready in the comfort of their own home and save a whole lot of money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, how fast would you recommend people read this? Because I feel like I zoomed through it because I was so fascinated, but I wished I would have read it a little bit more slowly. Well, I think it's very individual. There's some people who are just emotionally ready to like zoom through it and are just so thirsty for information about how to have a better relationship, mm-hmm. how to better themselves, how to grow, how to be a great partner what am I doing wrong in my relationship what have I done wrong in the past how can I have a better relationship next round and then there are other people who may be more kind of in touch with recent trauma that may be a little more raw that may not be ready to sit down and just read and read and read that may need to kind of read some and then take a break or read some and bring it to their therapist because I have had some people who've said like this book is amazing but I needed to talk to my therapist to get through it because it made me realize all of these things that I didn't know. Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting that you say that because I think that I read it like person A, but I actually person B. Sure, that makes sense. It was a really intense experience, but still so much came out of it. And I just wish to God I had read this before I'd gotten into a relationship because I think I would have been saved so many traumas. You know, it's so funny. My parents who have been married over 50 years said to me, I wish we had read this book before we got married. My mom said, if I had known this, I could have saved us so much pain oh my and heartache. She's like, but I had to birth you and so that you could write this book to, and help everyone. Right. And obviously yeah. she did a few things right because you became the woman you are. So. For sure. For but that, sure. Is, that is so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. So there's six different steps you say yeah. lead to, that lead to having a happy, healthy relationship. Yeah. So they're creating connection, fighting mm-hmm. fair, negotiate, 
work through your childhood, which work is through your a childhood whopper, issues. Yeah. And forgive and make amends. So could we and, just... And then chapter six. Don't oh, forget oh my the, God. the juiciest well, one that course, everyone loves. The Catholic forgets it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to block that out. I would have to say, even though family, uh, the family one was really hard emotionally to go through that because there were so many things I didn't realize that yeah. were traumatic growing up. Absolutely. The sex one was really hard because I realized how uncomfortable I still am with sex. And, you know, so many people feel this way. Yeah. And when I wrote the book, I wrote chapter six last. Yeah. And most of my chapters, I look, I always have a lot to say and I love writing and I'm an obsessive researcher. I can't get enough once I start. I have to really, at a certain point, just be like, okay, I'm just going to stop researching. Like, <laughs> no matter, like, I know I want more, but I'm going to stop. And with most of my chapters are about 7,500 words, 10,000 words. With my sex chapter, How to Reignite Your Sex Life, it was 20,000 words. And my editor, <laughs> she was like, okay, we, we got to edit this one down. You've got a lot to say about sex. It was my boyfriend's favorite chapter. Of course. Because we had gone through five chapters where he was like, are you almost done writing this book? Like, come on. And then the sex chapter chapter happened and it was funny he uh posted a snapchat of us in bed with a note saying the sex chapter's really working (laughs) that's amazing i mean the sexual inventory list at the end yeah wow so you you and your boyfriend eric you do this once a year yes you go through yes so and that's by the way that's at eric schiffer at Eric Schiffer. Yeah, yeah, let's E-R-I-C- give him a S-C-H-I-F-F-E-R. Yeah, yes. I was so happy. I mean, first of all, let me just give a little backstory. So yeah. I first heard you on the radio at Sirius XM when you were doing the Dr. Jen show. And you did something that I thought was one of the most brave things I've ever heard anybody do on air. You, as an incredibly accomplished couples therapist, came out and said, listen, I'm getting a divorce. I'm going through this. I've done every single thing I was supposed to do. I followed all my rules. And this is what's going on. And the level of courage it took to do that just inspired me so much. Um, So many of us stay in things because of how it's supposed to look. Yeah, it was was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I mean, what the lead up to it was really one of the most painful things I've ever been through in my life. And then... I had to really practice what I preach and say, you know, I sit here and I, I'm wearing a bracelet, says it right now, fuck what other people think. Yeah. And that I couldn't stay in a marriage that wasn't working because I was worried about what other people would think or because I'm the couple's therapist. And it took enormous courage. But I have to say, it's something that made me so much stronger that, you know, I cried every day for a year and a half straight. Wow just leading up to making that decision. It was so enormously painful. But when I got to the other side, it made me such a stronger person. I felt like I can face anything. Like I feel like a superhero. Like I handled everything and I have no regrets about anything. And that's something I'm very grateful for. And I just want you to know that that really came across. When I heard that I think I make a lot of decisions in my life out of fear, unfortunately. It's something I'm working on. But when I heard you do that, it really inspired me. And it's something I always go back to. So I hope you know how many people out there listening, you may be empowered to take that step that they're afraid of because of what other people would think. You know, the response was amazing. It it was not what I expected. I 
did it and I announced it because first of all, I have to practice what I preach. I can't be hiding things. Mm -hmm. I can't have secrets. So I hit a point where it's like, okay, I need to share this with my fans. And I really wasn't sure how people would react. And the response was so overwhelmingly positive. And like what you're saying of people saying, you've inspired me to leave something that I needed to leave for a long time. You inspired me to work on my relationship and know when it was time to stop working on it. Right. And I, that's something I struggle with so much, Dr. Jen. I know a lot it's of hard. people do. How do yeah. you know when you have reached that end point? You know, a, a few things. First of all, one, it's part of the reason why I wrote The Relationship Fix is because I felt like I wanted people to have all of the tools that they needed to have. This book has everything people need to know. If you get through the end of the book and you're really practicing what's in the book, your partner is attempting to do it and you can't make it work and a therapist can't help you make it work, then it's probably time to go. But, you know, when I first started going around promoting the book, one of the first big questions I was asked is someone, a woman said to me, she raised her hand and she said, um, can I do the relationship fix by myself? If my husband does mm -hmm. like if he's not willing to read this, can I do it? And my answer to her was yes and no, because it only takes one person to change a relationship because one person can be the catalyst that changes the patterns, that changes the way you communicate, that changes the way you relate, that changes the energy in the relationship that can completely change it. On the other hand, if the other person isn't willing to do anything differently, mm -hmm. then nothing's going to change. And I always say that at least you know you've done your part. You've kept your side of the street clean because that's all you can do. So is that what keeping your side of the street clean means is doing everything you possibly can? It, that's a huge part of it. It's, it's also it's taking the high road. It, it's, it's in those moments when you've been triggered, when your partner is upset, is angry, is yelling, is, you know, whatever it is that triggers you, not getting sucked into that, not mm. going to that same primitive place where then you lose your cool, where you say things that you shouldn't say, where you yell, where you scream, where you are a participant in making your relationship something other than what you want it to be. Instead, in those moments, if you can say, you know what, I can see you're really upset. I'm really upset too. I don't think this is going to be productive. Let's take 20 minutes to calm down and meet back in the living room. Right. That That's taking the high road. And I have a lot of exercises, as you know, like mm -hmm. that, about how to take an adult time out so that your partner doesn't feel like you're abandoning them in the middle of it, an intense conflict. And you always have to say, listen, I'm going to come back. You can't say, yeah. I'm just going because then they, then will they feel, feel abandoned. abandoned. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And also the thing to do is before the conflict comes up, start saying, okay, next time a conflict comes up where we're too upset, I'm going to take a time out. I will, I'm not abandoning you. I want you to know that. I'm going to say, you know, hey, I'm too upset right now. Let's meet back in the kitchen in two hours. Or I'm going to take a ride around the block and calm myself down, and then I'm coming back. It's when people storm out the door. Well, if you haven't told your partner you're taking a time out, <laughs> they think you've just dumped Left. them. Like yeah. you've just abandoned them. Absolutely. And when is a good time to have that discussion? When you're not in the middle of a heated argument. When you're calm, when things are 
just normal, placid, okay, to say, you know, I read this book and I learned this. I heard this therapist on on this podcast, whatever it is. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Jen yeah. Mann, I would cite you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> to encourage them to look you up. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. You know, to say, I heard this therapist talk about this. Let's try it. Let's see how it goes. This is what okay. I'm planning to do. And can you have that conversation before you ever have a fight? Absolutely. It's okay to do. Absolutely. For sure. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's it's always good to have strategies in place before the problem happens. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to circle back to when we get out of a relationship that doesn't work for us. Mm -hmm. And then we're going through a period of healing. How do we know when we're ready to enter a new relationship? And how do we stop ourselves from replicating the destructive patterns we engaged in in the past? It's a great, Asking for great a question. Yeah. <laughs> um, a few things. First of all, as you know, I mm-hmm. recommend everyone have at least one year of weekly therapy. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't already done it, this is a great time to do it. I am a big proponent of therapy, not just as a therapist, but I do it myself. We do couples therapy preventatively. I think it's so great for both individuals and couples. So the first thing is you've worked on yourself. The second thing is that you are able to get through a date, even in your mind, where you're not crying, complaining about your ex, being hostile, (laughs) talking about how terrible men or women are, depending on who you're dating. That's two. And then three is you have something to offer. Mm. People tend to do the opposite. They say, I want, I need. I want validation. I want sex. I want someone to give me flowers because my ex didn't give me flowers. I want someone to take me out to dinner. I want someone to make me feel pretty. Whatever it is, you can fill in the blank. It, it, we tend to start dating when we can fill in the blank of I want. And that's not the time to start dating. We, we shouldn't be dating out of need. Instead, we should be dating because, wow, I have a really amazing life. Someone would be really lucky to be part of my life. Like, that would be pretty cool. I'd love to be able to share this. I've learned so many wonderful new skills by reading the relationship text. I'd like to try them out with someone. I think they could really benefit from that. Wow. You just blew my mind. (laughs) That is so true, though, because we can't give away what we don't have. Exactly. And so, and especially if you want to attract someone who will mirror something good in you. You want to have those good things to mirror. And and look, part of the problem is we go into relationships, whether we're aware of it or not, and I talk about it Mm. in the relationship fix, we tend to go in going, what can you do for me? Make me feel good. Validate me. Make me feel loved. Fill the void in my heart that my mom or my dad didn't, you know, that they they created for me, please. Like, And then we get angry when that per- person won't do it. Because once we get past the honeymoon stage where everyone is like, oh, you like pizza. I like pizza too. I can't believe we found each other. We have so much in common. It's amazing. Once we get past that projection and that heightened state and we get into the real relationship, we start to see the conflicts that we have have with the other person, what happens is we tend to pick people who, if you sit down and you make a list of all the positive characteristics of your mom and your dad, all the negative characteristics of your parents, we tend to pick people with a lot of those characteristics. And what happens is when we haven't worked through our stuff, they will trigger those old wounds. And we won't understand why we're so furious and so enraged and we're so upset but it's really about our childhood. Our big reactions tend to be about our childhood. So once we realize that with the person we're with, is it possible to stay in that relationship 
and fix it because if you're realizing, oh my gosh, I picked this person because they reflect all the wounds inside of me, which I know we do anyway. Yeah. Like how can how can you bring yourself to a place where it's actually healthy? Well, you know, Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt, who created Imago Therapy, who are two of my idols, and they they wrote the foreword to my book, which is like one of the Aww. greatest feelings ever. But they their belief is that we cannot heal without being in a relationship, that we have to have that person trigger our old wounds so that we can find them and fix them and heal them individually and as a couple. Ooh, okay. That that's where the real (laughs) core work is. That if we're just sitting at home alone in our apartment and no one is challenging us in that way, no one is pushing those old buttons, we probably won't know that we have them. Wow. Okay. That's that's wild. Yeah. And I do remember reading that part. They said there's no way to fully heal by yourself. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So when let's get to that part, the work through your childhood. And you yeah. said when my clients share their childhood struggles, it always becomes clear what issues they're reenacting from their childhood. Yeah. Once you realize this, do you I mean obviously you go to therapy. Is it something you should try to work out with your parents as well or no? For some people, if you have that opportunity and you have parents who are open to doing that kind of work with you, by all means, that's fantastic. Most people don't, especially the more severe the wound, the less likely it is the parent is is able to do that. And also sometimes people have chosen to cut their parents off or, you know, whatever it is. But sometimes also people will surprise you. You know, look, season one, DMX, when we brought in his mother who had beaten the crap out of him, who had abandoned him when he was seven years old at at an agency without any warning, who, I mean, literally this woman braided electrical cords and while he was sleeping, she would, he would wake up because she was beating the crap out of him. I mean, it's heartbreaking. And I thought, wow, we bring this woman, like, I can't imagine this woman is going to be able to to do much. I'm going to have to really monitor this super closely. It was such a healing experience for him mm-hmm. that she was able to own what she did, apologize, tell her son that she loved him. Mm-hmm. And that was what, what was missing. That To this day, I still am in touch with DMX. And every time I call DMX, DMX, that he, DMX picks up the phone and he says, I'll do anything for you. What do you need? You gave me back my mother. You gave me back my life. I do anything for you. What's going on? That is so beautiful. Yeah. Now, as a, I know you're a very, um, a very empathetic person, of course. I've always wondered how you as a therapist can sit there through something like that and keep it together and still advise and not jump into the human aspect of it to still be your doctor self. You, you know, one of the amazing things about couples therapy and family therapy is that it is such an authentic experience that I am able to be who I am as a human being and as a therapist. And there have been plenty of therapy sessions where I have cried. There have been Mm -hmm. plenty where I have screamed and yelled. There have been plenty where I've had my own emotional reactions and and fans have seen it and I think really appreciate it. I think when I first came on season one, people were like, who's (laughs) this? Like, People were like, she says fuck. She sometimes yells at her clients. Sometimes she cries. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, who does therapy like this? And then by season two, people were like, wow, this is really effective. And I think Mm -hmm. they also got that 
this comes from the heart for me. And that sometimes, you know, I mean, look, when Tretch's father, we did a session with him where he was reunited with his father, season four, and it was so frustrating. And his father wouldn't own anything. And he was just so self-focused. And it was so awful. And then we ended the session. Tretch walked. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm done. And then his father went to the green room and ended up having a like a light bulb went off and he started crying and he's like I can't believe that I didn't provide my son with the healing I could have and I had wanted to say I'm sorry Mm -hmm. and I don't know why I didn't and he's sobbing sobbing and I go and I was like do you want to talk to him and he said yes and I went and I got Tretch. Tretch and Cicely came down and the man was sobbing so hard. He collapsed in his son's arms. Tretch was crying. Cicely, I was sobbing. Literally, the <laughs> cameramen were sobbing. Like, there was not a dry eye in the, in the house. And look, this is this is being human. Like, you have to be like a statue. You have to be just so cold to not feel those feelings. And I think that that's a legitimate part of the experience. So how do we go about finding a therapist who's like you, who knows how to walk the line between being tough and loving and sees all sides of it and still has that human aspect because I found that really hard to find. Yeah, look, it's a matter of finding the right therapist for you. That works for you. There are some people who need someone who's more of a blank wall, Mm -hmm. who's more of like, I'm not going to disclose about myself. This is, you know, who has more of that kind of psychoanalytic approach. Mm -hmm. There are some people who are looking for more of a cognitive therapist approach. What matters is that they're qualified, you feel safe and connected, and that, you know, they know what they're doing. And that means a licensed psychotherapist, yeah, correct? I, I Look, I'm not a fan of life coaches. I know mm-hmm. there are a lot of really great life coaches out there, but it is too unregulated for my taste. When, when we become licensed therapists, we have to not only get a master's and or a, a, a doctorate, we also have to do 3,000 hours under supervision of someone who is licensed, mm-hmm. where we learn, we are watched, we are like, it, it's, it's a rigorous process before we sit down in a chair and even and even take our licensing exams. So to me, that is a valuable experience. And I also, my feeling is that if someone doesn't have the discipline to do those things that need to be done to become a therapist, then how can they teach you to have the discipline in your life to do these difficult things? And again, there's some great life coaches who have terrific instincts, but to me, that's different than therapy. Absolutely. And and to me, it can also get dangerous because they're not trained to know what to do with a suicidal client, to recognize serious pathology, and it can get scary. Absolutely. And then with couples therapy, to take it there, if you're with someone who you're having serious issues with but won't engage in couples therapy, what does that mean for your relationship? Is it over? That's really tough. And... You know, the thing is that if you keep doing the same things, nothing's going to change. And if they're not willing to go to therapy, but they're willing to sit down with a religious leader and get some religious counseling with you, or they're willing to go to seminars with you, or they're willing to read books with you and explore in that way, then that can work too. To me, therapy is the gold standard because it's having a neutral trained person who's seen a lot of these issues before sit down with you and give you their expertise. But I know it can be really scary for a lot of people, men in particular. Why is that? 
It for a few reasons. The first is men view things in a hierarchical fashion. Mm. Women, we tend to view things in more of a collective fashion. It's just kind of the psychology of gender. And that what the studies have shown is that women tend to go like, okay, let's work on this together. Whereas men tend to look at where am I in the pecking order? And it's the same reason that men have a hard time asking for directions. The person with the information has the power. So it puts him one down. And that's Mm. uncomfortable for men. Mm. They're always assessing the power. And so to walk into a therapist's office, and a lot of the time the therapist is female, and you're with your female partner if you're in a heterosexual couple, and a lot of time men can feel ganged up on. Oh, she's just going to side with her. Or sometimes they will feel guilty about something they've done and they're worried about being judged. Or like, I'm judging myself hard enough. I don't need some asshole therapist with a PhD to tell me I'm a bad guy. And that's not what therapy is. There are, there are also a lot of misconceptions about therapy. That therapy is someone sitting there wagging their their finger at you, and that's not the case. So if you're the person who deeply feels that you need couples therapy, what can you do to set your partner at ease and make them realize it's going to be okay, this is a safe space, and it's good for us? A few things. Um, One is instead of presenting it like you're screwed up, you keep screwing up the relationship. We need someone to help us so that they can fix you. Instead, make it about the couple or even better yet, make it about you. And and I don't mean in a manipulative way because look, the truth is we can all find ways to be a better partner. Mm -hmm. To say to your partner, look, I feel like I'm really struggling. You're doing some things that are really triggering me and I don't know how to handle it. And I feel like my responses to you are not good responses and that they're hurting the relationship. Would you be willing to come in and do a session or two with me so I can work on that? And that can be a great starting point because sometimes if you're the one on the hot seat instead of your partner, they can start to go, oh, okay, this is a place where I'm not going to be beaten up, where that that person is a little more neutral than I expected. So that's one way. Um, You know, the other way is doing something like um, reading a book written by a therapist, perhaps the relationship (laughs) fix, but to kind of, yeah, to to kind of, to start out kind of dipping your toes in therapy Mm -hmm. a little more um, less directly. Right. And I love that you said a session because that's a lot less intense than we need to do couples therapy. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Well, that's a good tip for those out there with that particular dilemma. Um, getting to forgiving and making amends. Yeah. I love these four R's of apologies and I would love it if we could go through them and give people this skill set. Absolutely. And, you know, most people don't realize that an apology for it to be well received has different components. Most people think all I have to do is say, I'm sorry, and then this will go away. (laughs) But that doesn't tend to work that way. I always look at the four R's and the four R's have changed over time. They really change really as I was doing the research for this book because I read every study I could get my hands on in every book about apologies and forgiveness. And so I narrowed it down to four things. The first is remorse. The ability to say, I am sorry. And it doesn't even have to be those words. I feel so terrible about how I hurt you. I, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply remorseful about what I said. And to show that person that you're sorry, that this really penetrated your heart and you get 
that you've hurt this other person, that's huge. The second thing is responsibility. Own it. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry that I hurt you that way. My words must have really stung you. That must have been terrible to hear me say that. Or, you know, when I went out that night, I know that that had to trigger your trust issues and and I should have been more sensitive. To really own it and take responsibility for your behavior is huge. Because if you don't take responsibility for your behavior, how can that other person trust you? If you're pointing the finger and you're blaming the other, well, I wouldn't have gone out if you hadn't been such a bitch. You know, I had to go somewhere, you know, that kind of thing. So, so that's key. Then the third thing is recognition. And this is a tough one. It's, it's probably one of the most overlooked ones. It's particularly tough for men, in my experience, that to actually sit and listen and recognize the other person's pain. And one of the reasons that I find that it's hard for men is that men tend to feel like they're the bad one when that happens. And they're kind of wired to want to fix it. So it's hard to hear the problem without fixing. And a lot of guys don't realize the power in listening. Just listening and knowing that, that you've been heard is so healing and so important. And then the third is remedy. It's making a plan. It is saying, okay, I screwed up on Facebook. Here's my, here's my password. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to be totally transparent with you. Or I recognize I have a drinking problem. I'm going to go to AA. I'm going to get a sponsor. I'm going to work the steps. I, we're going to have an alcohol-free home. I'm really committed to this. It's, it's a actual plan of action. Because just saying I'm sorry and not doing anything to make it different next time around is not enough. No. And you talk about in the book too, which I love, how forgiveness isn't really linear. It takes time. It goes up and down. Can you speak a little bit to that and what we can expect when a huge transgression has happened? Absolutely. You know, most people do think that it's black and white, that either you have forgiven someone or you haven't. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time what happens is, you think you've forgiven someone and then something happens and you get triggered and it brings up those old feelings again. Or um, perhaps you've forgiven too quickly because a lot of mm-hmm. the time we tend to go, well, I love this person. I don't want to stay mad at them. And there's also this Judeo-Christian kind of ideal of you have to forgive, you have to let go. And look, I'm all for forgiveness, but I don't like cheap forgiveness. I don't like when people just say like, okay, I forgive you. Well, why do you forgive like what what's happened that's helped you heal what's happened to let you think that this is going to be different and so often I get a call on the radio show from someone who has a partner who's cheated or cheated repeatedly and then they took them back and I say you know what was it you know I said you know why did you make this choice well I forgave him or Mm. I forgave her what made you forgive him or her well he or she said they're sorry well It's very hard to forgive without those four R's. If you don't get those to feed your soul and let you know that what happened impacted that other person, that they really get the pain that they've caused and they are willing to take new action, it becomes very hard to Mm -hmm. forgive. And a vicious cycle because it just happens again and again and again and you're on this merry-go-round. So let's say you are in a relationship, you had a really bad thing happen, you end up breaking up from it, 
You're in a new relationship. This person's great. You've healed from it. You have something to offer. They have something to offer. Everything's going lovely. You're in the honeymoon you're stage. You're in the honeymoon stage. Yeah. <laughs> but let's say you move past the honeymoon stage. You're now in negotiation. Yes. And they do something that reminds you of a prior trauma. Uh-huh. It's not the trauma, but it reminds you of yep. it enough where you're triggered. How do you deal with it in that moment to know, hey, this isn't really what I think it is. It's it's just a little flavor of that, but I'm being triggered in a way that's bigger than this this situation really is. How do you deal with that and and react effectively and and I don't know what I'm asking, but I think you do. No, it's a great question. I totally know what you're asking, and, and it's a fantastic question. The first thing you do is you recognize in yourself what has been triggered. You know, let's say your um, boyfriend went out without telling you where he was going, and your past boyfriend was a cheater. And so, you know, this this has come up, and you're totally triggered, like, oh, my God, he's out, he's cheating on me, I'm so angry, how could he not tell me where he was going, what time he's going to be there, and why is he not answering his phone, to go, okay, wait, stop, take a breath. Okay, why is this hitting me so hard? Anytime your reaction is out of proportion to the event, you know it's something from your past. That's the first red flag. So pay attention to the red flag and say to yourself, okay, I'm being triggered because of this past thing that happened to me. What is it about that that hits me so hard? What is unresolved for me about that? What are my current partner's intentions? Mm-hmm. When he went out, was he trying to upset me? Was he trying to abandon me? What, like, what was going on? How much of it is his stuff? How much of it is my stuff? Then the other thing is, and this is a hard thing for most people, when he comes back home, be vulnerable and share what was triggered don't get angry share how you felt yeah exactly hey when you went out i know you didn't realize that this is such a sensitive issue for me i realized when you went i had a really big reaction that it's it's about this ex-boyfriend of mine who cheated on me and i think i got had a really big reaction because of that i want to make you aware of that so that you can be sensitive to this issue for me and so that we can make a plan that in the future when you go out you can let me know what the deal is that's perfect. And yeah. just to be clear, all that stuff you're talking about where you're going through and figuring out from your past how it's affecting you now, that's all work you do before you even have that conversation with your partner, correct? Absolutely. That's yeah. a great And look, tool. if you're in therapy, that's a good time to call or text your therapist and just be like, hey, can I check in? Or you know, when's the next session that you have if you're doing that kind of work? Right. You want to work through it. Yeah. So we haven't really touched on this yet. We have a little bit, but fighting fairly. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? And how can that play out? What does a fair fight look like versus an unfair fight? An unfair fight hits below the belt. It's name calling. It's raised voices. It's using personal, private, vulnerable things your partner has shared with you against them. It's threatening to leave the relationship. It's slamming doors. It's throwing things. I mean, the ultimate is abuse. And that's, to me, a whole other category because that's a deal break. I love that you say that so many times in the book, too, because I think a lot of people who've gone through abuse might read this without you saying that and say, oh, well, I should just try this. No, she is very clear throughout the book. If that happens, that is a deal breaker. Exactly. And I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, and, and it really, it crosses a, a line. Um, my original background, I started, when I started being a therapist, was I worked for the Los Angeles Commission on Assaults Against Women mm-hmm. as a rape and domestic violence counselor. So it, I, I really get that dynamic of violence and abuse in a relationship. But when we're talking about a more typical relationship, 
And you had kind of asked earlier uh, today, you know, why do people not know how to fight fairly? And most people haven't had good examples. Mm -hmm. Most people don't have parents who have been through a lot of therapy, who have had perfect childhoods. As a matter of fact, I don't know anyone who has a perfect childhood. And they've demonstrated a lot of bad habits oftentimes or no habits. Sometimes I'll get someone in the office and I'll be like, well, when your parents fought, what was it like? Well, I never saw them fight. Well, of course you don't know how to fight fairly. You never saw that. And you say that's an indication that something is seriously brewing down there because if you never fight, you never have the opportunity to grow. And look, there's some parents who don't fight, but more often they hit it from their kids Mm -hmm. with good intentions that they don't want to scare their kids, upset their kids, involve their kids. Absolutely. Most parents don't realize it's actually good for kids to see parents work through a problem and have a resolution as long as it's not screaming, yelling out of control. When it comes to the actual couple, if when I see couples that don't fight at all, they have no conflict, that everybody agrees on everything, I'm always a little suspicious that, like, is one person not sharing their real feelings mm-hmm. about what they want or don't walk, want, even if it's something as simple as where are we going to have dinner tonight? Is someone checked out emotionally? Like, if you don't care to have your partner know what you want, like, where's your head? Where's your heart? You know, why aren't you invested in working this through? And then the third is kind of that they don't know how to deal with conflict. So it's kind of easier to kind of put your head in the sand. And that's always concerning. Absolutely. And there's a great tip in the book. Is it Gottman who says five... Yeah. Five to one the five ratio. Five to one ratio. Okay. Yeah, that, that for John Gottman is a researcher, mm-hmm. an amazing, amazing guy. And he has done, he can predict divorce with like 97% accuracy. And he brings couples into his lab, his love lab, <laughs> and watches them. And what he has done is he has coded every word. He, they're monitored physically, every heartbeat, every eye roll, everything. And he can predict divorce with 97% accuracy. What he says is what matters matters most when it comes to the happiness and stability of a relationship is a ratio of positive to negative. There needs to be five positive to one negative in order for a relationship to feel good for both people. And that's a good ratio to keep in mind. And you also talk about the sandwich technique, which I think yes. is brilliant. So you say a positive thing, yeah. put in what you'd like to change, and then another, another positive. positive. Makes a really big difference at delivery. Yeah, it's especially yeah. when you're going at someone with something that might be a little difficult to hear. It's, it's good to have the two nice things on the side. And if you had, I know this is really tough, but one piece of advice for a couple who might be struggling right now, what would it be and why? I would say it would be seek to understand your partner. And that we tend to go into conflict trying to change them, trying to change their position, trying to make them do something differently. If you can go into a conversation seeking to understand where is this person coming from? Why is this so important to him or her? What is going on that this is causing conflict in our relationship for him or or for her? That when you're able to look at things from that other person's perspective, it can change everything. You don't have to agree, but you got to try to understand. Dr. Jen, I could literally sit here with you for, I don't know, six hours. You fascinate me. <laughs> I could probably me. talk for six that hours. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to come back sometime. I would love I it. I want to go over the six steps again, just so yeah. people can know. And again, the book is The Relationship Fix. It is a must read for any human being, maybe even aliens. I don't know. 
intelligent life. So you have to create connection, fight fair, negotiate, work through your childhood, forgive and make amends, and don't forget, ignite your sex life. Even you you Catholics. (laughs) I'm, I'm included in that. You can find Dr. Jen everywhere pretty much Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Man. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. The website is Dr. Jen, spelled out Dr. Jen.com. You have to get her book, Relationship Fix, out now, The Relationship Fix, and get that anywhere books are sold. And gosh, we should have you on to talk about the No More Diets app because that is a revolutionary way of looking at weight loss and really just lifestyle. So get her No More Diets app that's available on Apple and Android. You are an inspiration in so many ways. You teach me so much. Uh, It's my honor to bring your knowledge to our audience, and I can't thank you enough for all that you've done for me and for the world with your work. Thank you I really appreciate you. And everyone watching, thank you for being with us. You can find me at Lauren LaGrasso on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And check out my show. I'm doing a live music show at Rockwell. You can find the information on my Instagram. That's on April 30th. I will see you there. Dr. Jen, thank you. Thank you. this has been Book Circle Online. Everybody read up. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.